the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But here's the danger of liberty issues. There are some people who want to take it right to the edge and see how much of the flesh they could could use without it being a sin. How far can you go? And you you hear people say, well, well, how far can I do? What can I do? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is what would bring glory to the Lord? Have you ever watched commercial airliners land? The pilots don't use the whole runway, do they? Well, why not touch down right at the leading edge? Use all of that concrete. Well, they could do that, but they don't. They leave room for the unexpected and don't touch down until they are well over the pavement. So it should be with our liberty in Christ. That's one envelope we should never push. In fact, it could be argued that in seeing how far we can go without sinning, we've already sinned. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will wrap up this first sermon in his series about the Sermon on the Mount as we consider the importance of living lives that make us salty and that demonstrate our transformation through Christ's redeeming power. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Until recently, salt's primary use was as a preservative, And that's what Jesus meant when he called us the salt of the earth. So let's not get contaminated and lose our saltiness. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us why. So what Christ is saying is that just like polluted salt, when we get contaminated with sin and worldliness, we lose our usefulness. We use our our value. You can't be used by the master anymore. Now, it certainly can't, doesn't mean, and I don't think I need to explain to this crowd a whole lot about this, but it certainly doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, that you're trampled by, by God in terms of his wrath. That, that's impossible. The Bible teaches that for a believer, you are eternally secure because Christ's death can never be taken away from you. It's not based on your behavior. It's a fact. Justification is forever. Jesus said I, in John 10 that my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. I don't know how he could have made it any clearer than that. So he's not talking about losing your salvation, but he is talking about losing your effectiveness to influence anyone for purity. He's talking about losing your usefulness. And folks, a worldly Christian is a useless Christian, a useless Christian, just like tasteless salt. We're stale, useless, worthless to the Lord. And the great danger of being in this condition is that you have disqualified yourself from the Lord using you. There's nothing more exciting in life than being used to the Lord, right? There's nothing more exciting for a Christian than to know that God is is using you. But if you you have compromised and you have refused to repent and you are contaminated by sin and you don't confess it and you live in rebellion to Scripture— then you are worthless to the Lord. Might as well take you to to heaven now. In fact, that's what happens if a believer continues to be useless and continues to rebel. God just takes him home. 
because you're, you're, you're of no use to him, no value to him here. When you compromise your own moral distinctiveness as a child of God, you're useless. Now, that ought to be a great concern, a grave and great concern to a believer. I'm afraid that some are not concerned about it. Their attitude is, well, you know, I'm going to go to heaven anyway, so let me just live it up. What difference does it make? What, what difference does it make? I'm going to go to heaven. Well, it makes a lot of difference, and you ought to be concerned. Someone with an attitude like that may, first of all, indeed not even know the Lord. But secondly, it violates the very spirit of Scripture. Certainly, the Apostle Paul was concerned. And I'd like you to see this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks about his concern over being found useless to the Lord, being disqualified for service. In the context of 1 Corinthians 9, Paul has been talking about Christian liberty. Christian liberty is pretty much uh, being able to do and having the freedom to do whatever Scripture does not explicitly condemn. There are a lot of, of issues that Scripture doesn't specifically address. You have the freedom to do those things. You don't have to do them, and certainly you shouldn't do them if somebody is legitimately going to stumble over what, uh, what you're doing, but you have the freedom to do it. It's not, it's not in and of yourself a sin, but here's the danger of liberty issues. There are some people who want to take it right to the edge and see how much of the flesh they could, they could use without it being a sin. How far can you go? And you, you hear people say, well, well, how far can I do? What can I do? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is what would bring glory to the Lord? So the Apostle Paul understood that when you're teaching about about liberty issues, there's always a danger there. He spoke about his own perspective on it, beginning in verse 24. He said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? I mean, that's a general truism. Everybody who's running in a race, they're all competing. And he's speaking of a race now in comparing it to the Christian life. The Christian life is like a foot race. He says, but only one receives the prize. So in a, in a physical, literal foot race, you can only have one winner, the first one who crosses the line. But he says, in verse 24, run in such a way that you may win. In the Christian life, we all win if we're obedient to the Lord. We all get a prize. We all get rewards. He says in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. By self-control, he means you have to play by the rules. Can't break the rules. That's true of a physical race as well as in the Christian life. You don't want to do what this lady, remember uh, back in the 80s, a a lady uh, said she won the Boston Marathon when actually she hopped on a train and got to the finish line a lot faster than anybody else. And nobody had ever heard of her. Nobody had really seen her. Now they have better ways of uh, checking that that stuff out. They put little chips in your your running shoes. And if if, if you don't pass a mile marker, they know about it. You're monitored the whole way. But back then, this lady claimed to be the winner. She didn't compete by the rules. The rules are, in a marathon, you got to run the whole race. So Paul says, everyone who competes in the games, and there were famous games that they had in Corinth, like we have the Olympics today, exercises self-control in all all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. That's why people compete in athletics. They Back then, they got a wreath, silly-looking little headpiece that you put on, on your head, and, and really, it perished. In a matter of days, it wilted. But he said, but we, an imperishable one. He's talking about rewards. He's talking about usefulness to the Lord, competing in running the race, living the Christian life, obeying 
God's word, and we receive a reward. And therefore, he says, as he applies it to himself, verse 26, therefore I run, here's how I conduct myself in light of the truth of Christian liberty. I run in such a way as not without aim. Paul said, I'm disciplined. I know what I'm doing. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He said, I'm not, I'm not just out there swatting away and punching at air. Uh, there's a purpose. There's a discipline. There's self-control that I have. That's why he says in verse 27, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The apostle Paul was talking about a disciplined life that even when there's liberty, you have to be careful lest your liberty can turn into something that's very fleshly. And Paul said, no, I want my body to know that I'm in control of my body. My body's not telling me what to do. I tell my body what to do. I discipline my body. And his grave concern, he said, lest when I've preached to others the truth, God would just disqualify me. Just put me on the shelf and say, Paul, you're living a lie. It'd be like, it'd be like um, doing a Bible study with, with people and trying to show them how much you know of the word and, and you're, you're having sex with somebody. You're just a hypocrite. Paul said, God, just put me on the shelf if I did that. If I preached one thing and lived another way. So question is this. In light of knowing this, that we, that we are those who by our very righteous, godly lifestyle, which Christ has given us, it's no, it's no uh, accolade for ourselves. By that, we help to hinder and curb the rapid deterioration in society and individuals How then can we maintain our saltiness and continue to be useful to the Lord? How can we do that? I'm going to give you three practical things to do to help you retain your saltiness and effectiveness. So I would encourage you to write this down and more than write it down, apply it to your life. First of all, to function as salt in the world, you must be Christ-like in attitudes and behavior. That means that you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And folks, that means that you must be distinctive as a Christian, not like the world at all. You see that a generation ago that went without, without saying, you had to define what worldliness is, but it went without saying. Not so today, because there's a mentality today that says, let's become more like the world. We'll be hip so that they'll be attracted to the gospel. Folks, this is epidemic in our churches. This is what seeker-sensitive churches mean. They mean let's make our church so comfortable and so really worldly so that when unbelievers come, we'll cater to them, we'll water down the message so there'll be nothing to offend them, and, and we'll win them to Christ that way. That's, that's really the issue, and that's the direction of most most evangelical churches in the American culture today. What that does, though, not only is that unbiblical and really anti-Bible, but that blurs the lines of distinction with the world so that unbelievers and believers look alike. They talk alike. They behave alike. Completely unbiblical. What you end up with is a very worldly church filled with worldly believers with very weak doctrinal convictions, and very few moral standards. Recently, I I received a pamphlet in my neighborhood, and you may have received it too, about a new church starting in the area. 
And I was very curious to see what they were trying to lure people in, in by. And one of the statements they had is that they were, they were not judgmental. Now, you know how I translate that? You can do whatever you want, live whatever way you want, and nobody's going to say anything. Now, maybe that's not what they meant, but that sure sounds like it. You can live any way you want. Nobody will judge you. That's the seriousness of our times. For the church to be salty, for individual Christians to be salty, you got to be distinct. You got to be different from the world. And I'm not talking about being odd and peculiar and wearing clothes that went out of style 30 years ago. Hairstyles that nobody has seen for several decades. I'm not talking about that. There are some Christians, I say that because there are some Christians who think that's what it, what it means to be not like the world. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about godliness. I'm talking about applying scripture. Here's, here's what Lloyd-Jones said a generation ago, and it's still so pertinent, even more pertinent today. He said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. Do you get that? When the, world is, when the church is different from the world, that's when she attracts the world, not the other way around. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. Now, keep in mind, attraction doesn't mean that you just build up attendance. Attraction means that the world sees that you are different. They respect you for it. They may not agree with you, but there's a respect there. They see that you're not playing a silly game trying to be like them. You're distinct. You're different. You maintain your distinctiveness. So what are we talking about? We're not talking about hairstyles and clothes that went, went out years ago. What are we saying? Be distinct in your behavior. Your talk. You talk different than the world. Can they, can they catch by your conversation that you don't use words like they use? You don't use slang language. You don't, you don't talk down to people. You don't slander people. You don't gossip them. They ought to see it. You ought to be distinct in your marriage, the way you treat your spouse. You ought to be very distinct. The world doesn't have a clue as to how to have a, a good marriage. Your morality, your sexual purity ought to be spotless. Paul said to the Ephesians, there ought not to even be a hint of discussion and, and even a hint of anything that would be improper in your sexual behavior. Your finances, do you handle your money different than the world? Do you spend it on the right things? Are you generous? Are you good stewards? Do you, do you have a, a heart for the poor? How about your non-complaining attitude? The world is nothing but gripe. Everything is a gripe. My boss does this to me. The teacher says this. I don't like what the government is doing. I don't like what my boss is saying. Everything is a gripe. Send this food back. I don't want this. I don't like it. It's too drafty over here. I can't. Everything is a complaint. Your sweet spirit ought to be different than the world. The world doesn't have a sweet spirit. The, the world, most people in the world are just one inch below the surface ready to erupt in, in anger. They're crabby. They're nasty. You ought to have a sweet spirit. You ought to have genuine humility. The world's attitude is, uh, I don't serve anybody. Christian's attitude is, I serve everybody. Humble spirit. See, salty Christians live distinct lives. And by distinction, we're talking about the righteous standards that actually Jesus set out in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he meant when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. His righteousness revealed the Sermon on the Mount. Secondly, the second thing to keep in mind is that the only way to maintain your saltiness in a wicked world is by saturating yourself with the truths of Scripture. Because you know what? We do 
live in a world that, that does contaminate us. All of us get contaminated at times. That's why Jesus spoke about, about confession of sin and that washing by the word. But let me show you this. John 17, Jesus directly addressed this. In John 17, this is his high priestly prayer. This is shortly before his arrest. This is the real Lord's prayer. The other one is a model prayer for disciples. But in John 17, beginning at verse 15, Jesus said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. What a great prayer. What Jesus was saying is, Father, don't remove my people from the world. That's why we're here, folks. Otherwise, you get saved and you go to heaven. But we're here. Don't remove them out of the world. But, but, then, but then, Lord, how can we live in the world when Satan is here and sin is here? And we, we, we just, what, what good does it do? So the prayer goes on. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, meaning that while they're in the world, keep them from being overcome by Satan and evil. Because Jesus explains in verse 16, we're not like the world. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Yeah, but Lord, you're perfect. You were incapable of sin. How are we going to move in the world that Satan is the prince of this world? And how are we going to move amongst unbelievers who hate us and, and not get bad attitudes? And how are we going to handle things when, when we live in such a wicked society that throws all kinds of stuff at us? How do we maintain sexual purity and, and attitude purity in this sinful world? Verse 17 is the answer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know how we keep our saltiness? You know how we keep from from getting contaminated to the point where we're not useful anymore? We saturate ourselves with the word of God. Sanctify means to separate them, to set them apart for for God's usage, to, to essentially to grow in holiness. It's the word of God. As you apply scripture to your life, you'll be able to live out the godly qualities found in the Beatitudes, and you'll be able to resist sinful temptation. How shall a young man cleanse his way? David said, by taking heed according to thy word. That's what Jesus meant. And as you do this, and as you stay in the word, and the word dwells in you, and that means, folks, studying the Bible, getting into it, being involved in a Bible study, and applying the word to your life, you'll be like a salt preservative to those around you. There's no growth without the word. There's no saltiness without the word. The third thing that we have to do to be salt in this world is to make sure that we mingle and have contact with unbelievers. It only makes sense that if we're going to function as a preservative in a decaying world, then we have to be active and involved in our world, right? We have to be careful that we don't form Christian-like ghettos where we hardly have any contact with the world. That's not right. We're to interact with, with unbelievers at work, at school, at, at social and sporting events by talking to them, listening to them, serving them, showing kindness, thoughtfulness to them, exhibiting words of graciousness and patience and honesty. See, listen, for salt to be effective, it must be rubbed into the world. And you know what that means? It means that salt that remains in a salt shaker isn't any good. You got to be poured out. You've got to have God take that salt shaker and pour you out. And he has done that, hasn't he? He has done that. Thank God that he's poured you out of the salt shaker among people who curse, people who are dishonest, people who are immoral, 
And you might think, I can't take it one more day at work or at school, but thank God that's where you are. God's taken the salt shaker and he's poured you out there. You have a great opportunity to hinder their moral decay simply by your presence and your godly lifestyle. And eventually, hopefully, the doors will open for you to share the gospel and let your light shine before them. And that's what we'll look at next week. But for right now, you need to ask yourself, am I salty? Am I salty? We're not just to be sugar, we're to be salt. Are you living out the Beatitudes in the sphere of your influence? Are there sins that need to be repented of before you can make an impact for Christ? Don't think it doesn't matter. It really does matter. Remember, if if you don't repent, then you'll lose that saltiness and God just will not use you. Eventually, he may take you to glory ahead of what you thought. If you don't repent, you'll, you'll be as useless as tasteless, contaminated salt. Paul was very concerned about being disqualified. I I hope you are. I think there are some people who are involved in what they think is service, but they're still disqualified. They're just spinning their wheels. There's no effectiveness. They may witness to others, but nobody's listening. They have no credibility. Useless. Absolutely useless. Now, if you're an unbeliever, the question is, have you experienced the power of a godly influence in your life? Have you been around Christians who, who radiate Christ and, and you, you are ashamed of telling a dirty joke in their presence? You, you are embarrassed to do something dishonest. If you've seen the reality of Christ in their life, then why not let him change you? And the way he'll do that is if you first repent and then turn to him to trust him alone for your salvation. Let's bow for prayer. If you don't know Jesus, I I urge you, I urge you to come to him. Jesus said, come unto me, all who labor and are weary, and I'll give you rest, and he'll change you. He will give you peace, but before that, he'll give you forgiveness of sin. He'll give you a relationship. He'll give you eternal life. I, I urge you to trust Christ. Trust him. If you know you're a sinner, and you are, you know you're a sinner, Christ died for sinners. And if you want him to forgive you, you must trust that he died on your behalf. And when you do that, you trust him for all of eternity. You're not trusting in your good works. You're not trusting in your deeds of righteousness, trusting in Christ and Christ alone, his atoning work on the cross in payment for sin. And the Bible says you're forgiven and God places on your record his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. All the sins, all the laws that you did not obey, Jesus obeyed. All the issues that, and, and things that you did not obey, he obeyed, and you get his righteousness, all by repentance and, and trust. Now, if you're a, a believer, then I urge you to repent of anything that you, know, that you know compromises your distinctiveness as a believer. Don't try to see how, how much like the world you can be. Try to be as far away from the world as possible in your behavior and attitude, but but be in the world, as we say, but not of the world. Father, thank you for this one brief verse given over 2,000 years ago, but it rings so true today and so relevant. Lord, we are salt. Help us to distinguish in our minds between the political agenda of those on, on the uh, the right 
that they uh, use this verse and misapply it. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as Jesus sees us and our relationship with the world to be one of salt as we preserve our society just by our beatitude-like behavior. I, I pray that these words would come with conviction and power. And I pray, Lord, that genuine repentance will take place where they need where they need to take place. And I pray for those who are unbelievers in our midst that the word of God would bring about faith and repentance in their lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Three important things to remember if we want to stay salty. We need to live lives of integrity, humility, and kindness that set us apart from the unsaved. Also, we need to read our Bibles a lot. And finally, we need to get involved with unbelievers if we want to influence them for Christ. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. And let me remind you about our own website, versebyverseradio.org, where you can stream or download today's broadcast or any others that you'd like to hear. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to come back for our next Verse by Verse. We'll continue this study of the Sermon on the Mount as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues with Jesus' next description of his followers, the light of the world. You might be wondering, how can we be the light of the world when Jesus also said in John 8 that he is the light of the world? I hope you can be here as we explore that question when we meet again. to give you strength between three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.